I grew up in a trailer park. I am good at enduring pain, suffering, and discomfort, it turns out. I just learned how to apply that to business. And grit, I think, is the key definer. But grit doesn't make you happy. So we're taught, you know, if you work hard and you work long and the early bird gets the worm and Elon Musk is like, yeah, I work 100 hours a week. That's why I'm so much better than the other guys. Dude, your kids don't know you and they probably aren't going to like you. That's not a trade-off I'm willing to make. This can't be it. There has to be more. Wait. Am I crazy? No. If you're yearning for more and working hard to make your dreams a reality, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Dreamcatchers. It's the only show committed to helping you self-actualize and then transcend, leaving you with the legacy you've always desired. Listen in on conversations with successful philanthropists, entrepreneurs, and founders every week as we connect with them for inspiration, education, and direction. Your host, Jerome Myers, is here to help you exit the matrix and transform into a leader of your own revolution. The question is, do you believe your dreams should be real? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome, and I think she's still down there. We went international, and we went to find Steph down in Costa Rica, who retired there but then got back in and then kind of retired again. It's going to be a wild ride, ladies and gentlemen. Buckle up because Steph is a ball of energy and she's got one of the most amazing stories that you have ever heard. So Steph, welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. Jerome, thank you so much. It is such a pleasure to be here, man. You have such great energy. I really appreciate that, especially after the conversation we've been having because I know that everything has to be aligned in order for you to be involved in it. And I think that is something that's very rare to hear from a woman that does big business. A lot of people out there feel like they've got to put on the mask and pretend to be something they're not in order to be accepted so that they can get access to that coveted position or potentially have their company bought. And it seems like you've thrown all of that out the window. Did you start that way or does that stuff that you grew into? No, no. I always tell people that I'm really good at learning through the science of failure. Science of failure. So I failure learned is the really science. well through the science of failure. Yeah, you know, you try to read stuff in books and get it right the first time. I'm apparently not that chick. You know, so I grew up, the very long story, but I grew up in a trailer park when I was dying. My mother was diagnosed with a mental illness. My dad fought in Vietnam, had PTSD. Insert ensuing tragic stories here. But the interesting thing was all I had ever learned was you got to be perfect or bad things happen, right? You got to like take care of everybody or bad things happen. Like I was taking care of everyone else. They were not taking care of me, right? Let's just go with that. And so by the time I moved out, I moved out when I was 17. I got invited to attend some very nice schools based on my academic performance, but I had no idea what I was doing. So I filled out the applications for college saying that my dad made 150 grand a year, which was hilarious because he was like the assistant manager at a good year and couldn't actually keep a job. God love him. But I had no idea what I was doing. So I was like, okay, I don't have all this money for college. And they told me no financial aid. So I guess I got my own. So I literally started going to junior college. I literally took a class on how to be a legal secretary because I wanted to be a lawyer. I did debate in high school. So I was like, this is the path. I'll just, everyone else goes through the front door. I'll go through the back door. It'll be fine. And then I got out of that, you know, I did that. And then I ended up working in a law firm. I became a paralegal and was working my way up and literally started my first consulting firm at 24 because I was, you know, so ripe with knowledge at that point. 
But all I'd ever known was you get up, you grind it out, you take care of yourself, you do great work, right? That's how you're going to be okay. So it just became, for many people who are successful, there is an inner drive and it's not always light and expansive. Sometimes it's like you have to, it'll be okay right around that next corner, right? That like tenacity was my life's mantra. I'm not that smart. I'm not like literally, I just refuse to give up, I think is the key. But I really learned, I started my first firm, did really well, grounded out, sold. I think I started it at 24, sold it at 36 to a Fortune 200 company. I joked with you about this in the kind of the, the warm up. I learned so much about how I joined the executive team for four years, which was an incredible experience. I learned so much. I just didn't learn what I think I was going to learn. And I joke that I learned so much about how Fortune 200 companies run that it was very clear to me that I no longer needed to work for one. After the 27th version of a planning PowerPoint deck, where it was like basically not different than version one, I was like, I'm out. That's it. I'm my jam. And then I retired for a year to go scuba diving with my family in Turks and Caicos. I had very young kids at the time. And then I took an executive position in a large financial firm to do some really groundbreaking work at United Capital, which got sold to Goldman Sachs, which has since been sold to Creative Capital. So we build stuff that people like to buy. That's obvious, which is a good skill to have if you've got it. Great team of people there. But same thing. I was in this like treadmill of got to do more. Got, I was on the cover of a magazine. I was named an industry influential. I sold my company for seven figures. I didn't have to work anymore. Like Bloomberg asked me to write a book. Most people have to try to get a book. They were like, Henny, how would you like to write a book for us? I was like, okay, seems like a fun idea. Like I had a beautiful house and a beautiful family, right? Like check the box. I had done all the things that the success formula tells you you need to do to get ahead, be successful and happy. And I was really successful. You know what I wasn't, Jerome? Happy. I wasn't really happy. And so I had done this thing where I was trading time for money and I didn't realize it at the time, but as I shared, right, I retired to the, at the apex of my career, I walked away from it all. That was literally what they put on all the trade press. She walks away from it all at the apex of her career, you know? And I was like, peace out, people. I'll see you. Like, right, Where'd you go the second time? Huh? Where did you go the second time? Second time we went to Costa Rica. So the first time we went to Turks and Caicos for a year. So I obviously had the, right, the, the desire to go international. And I got pulled back in because the, the CEO of the, the financial firm reached out to me through a friend of a friend. He found me in Turks and Caicos and said, I know you're not talking to anyone for a year, but I have the perfect job for you. And I was like, how could you know that? And he said, because they created it just for you. And my ego was still really big, you know, not big in an I'm an idiot sense, but like, in a, oh, OK. And I was like, well, that sounds fun. And it was, they spent three years there and it was an incredible experience. We built some amazing stuff. Goldman Sachs liked it so much. They bought it for a, almost a billion dollars. Like it was a super cool experience. And again, that wasn't all me. There was an incredible team, right? They carried on the work. But literally at the apex of that, we'd gotten 30, our third round of funding for 40 million. I had to evaluate every acquisition and sign off on every deal. So my lifestyle suddenly went to no lifestyle. And my kids were three and six. And I just had, there's a lot of moments, but there was just a moment where I realized I'm trading time for money and I'm going to really regret it later. So I was sitting in the room with my daughter. She was like two, two and a half at the time. I'd come home from work. I was in the room with her. She was across the room. I'm sitting on the floor, right? Just kind of copping a squat, like, hey, baby. And she's over there. And the next thing I know, Jerome, she's on me, like tapping me. And I am literally like getting pulled in from outer space. I was like, what? I had been in my head 
at work solving you think you know i don't even know it could have been two minutes could have been 15. all i knew in that moment was that i had no idea i had been utterly vacant in the room with my child and per my prior story i came from a broken home i had broken mom i was like can't be a broken home cannot be a broken mom just in broken doesn't have to be trailer park bad but having time and money and choosing not to spend it with my kids because I was just stuck on this, you know, hamster wheel of, you know, just can't get off of it. And I know a lot of like my clients feel like that all the time. They're wildly successful people and founders. And, you know, you drive to get to a certain level of success and then you get there and all of a sudden you don't know how to get out of it. So I call it like keeping the edge. Like I love what I do and I want to be a badass at it. I want to crush it and have impact and make all this money and, you know, you know, kumbaya, like truly. But then there's all these little crises of confidence, and these trade-offs that we think we have to make. And I made way too many of them. So I think for me, it, when I went to Costa Rica, there was a very deep experience there where I really learned about mindset and personal performance and behavioral psychology and neuroscience and epigenetics and quantum physics and all kinds of very cool stuff. And what I realized is that whole time, Jerome, I was making trade-offs. I thought that success was going to make me feel significant. I thought, I genuinely thought that making more money was going to give me a sense of meaning. And it did none of those things. It, you know, Denzel Washington has this great quote, and I know it seems so obnoxious to people who haven't had like that kind of an event. They're like, eh. and I'm like, you just have to live through it. And he said, money will not buy you happiness. It will make you a lot more comfortable. And it's true. Like you could be very uncomfortable, unhappy, rich, you'd be not happy, poor. I've been both. And, you know, I don't prefer poor of the two. But what I realized was, why is that a trade-off? Like, I just could not, like, I literally, my title in my company is chief possibility officer because anything is possible. Some things are just harder than others, right? Outside of the laws of physics. And so I literally retired to the beach in Costa Rica sat down and I did what everyone does when they are financially independent and no longer need to work and are at the beach in Costa Rica. I sat down and I Googled because Google knows everything. How to be successful. This is not a made up story. True story. Dot, dot, dot. And happy. I was like, I've got the success thing down. I've been like my whole career turns out I kept getting better and better and better because I kept thinking if I could solve for this, if I can solve for time, if I can solve for profit, if I can solve for a happy team, if I can solve for great vision and good leadership scores and high MPSs and great conversion, if I could solve for systems and operate, like if I can get all that, then life's going to smooth out and this baby's going to be a good ride. And then I was like, oh, shiznit, that did not happen. <laughs> I mean, there's some amazing highlights as you get more and more successful without question. But I always say that being a founder and entrepreneur is literally like being on like one of those giant swings at the amusement park where you are literally swinging from one extreme to the other, right? From euphoria to exasperation and back again. And that all happens, by the way, before 12 o'clock is ever hit and no one gives you drama me. Like, you're high, you're low. I love this. It's the best thing ever. This is the stupidest thing. What the hell was I thinking? I hate this. Like, come on. We all do that, right? Everybody does that. That's the difference between people who are successful and people who are not as successful people are simply willing to do what unsuccessful people are not willing to do. I grew up in a trailer park. I am good in enduring pain, suffering, and discomfort, it turns out. I just learned how to apply that to business, 
right? And grit, I think, is the right the, the key definer. But grit doesn't make you happy. So we're taught, you know, if you work hard and you work long, and the early bird gets the worm, and Elon Musk is like, yeah, I work a hundred hours a week. That's why I'm so much better than the other guys. Dude, your kids don't know you, and they probably aren't going to like you. That's not a trade off I'm willing to make. To me, we just really get trapped in this trade off around time and money. We don't know it. We're not doing it intentionally. It's very subdued. It's our brain, really our mindset, right? A lot of us grew up in a scarcity mindset. We got to be pleasing. We got to prove, we got to protect, we got to, you know, show people how valuable we are. We think we're not good enough or smart enough, you know? So all we do is spend our life striving for something, person, experience, bank balance, body size. If we can turn that corner, it's all going to be okay. And when I learned in Costa Rica, because I went down mindset and coaching, right, just lots of cool stuff we can talk about is none of that stuff makes it okay. Ever. It doesn't we make it okay. And the only limits that we have truly are the ones that we place on ourselves. We just place a lot of limits on ourselves. Okay. You gave me so much content to go down and unpack. <laughs> This is going to be a phenomenal episode. Ladies, I told you, ladies and gentlemen, I told you guys to plug in, strap in, because this is a rocket ship. Except she described it more of like a swing where you're high, you're low, no drama mean, you're just experiencing all the things. So the first thing that you said that was like, oh my gosh, I got to ask her to tell me more. So you said, I took a year off scuba diving yep. in the Turks and Caicos. How'd you know to take a year off? Well, so the first deal, right, the right, the money changing event, right, when you talk about acquisitions, right, usually the first one is like you go from, you know, being okay to being financially independent, right? The second one or the third one, they're totally different ballgame because it's about impact and reach and what you can do and like, ooh, can I hit bigger numbers and have more fun? But the first one's like the earth literally moves under your feet when you're like, I'm going to literally go from right, having to hit the alarm clock and do this thing, even though I love it. To literally like got nothing to do today, like literally got nothing to do today. And then when I reentered, right, because when I unretired after five years, I was like, I'm just going to work part time. But here's the kicker. I'm still going to make seven figures a year. I'm just going to do it in half time. So that was my goal. My business plan when I unretired from the beach in Costa Rica. So now we split our time between Park City and Costa Rica. Sea and slopes. Best of both worlds. I right, said, so here's my business plan. I'm going to do cool shiznit with really cool people and have really awesome impact and make a really incredible seven-figure income so that I can write the, the life that I want on my terms, big, bold, badass, beautiful life, and help other people do the same and donate right to the children and church and charities and families that are really important to me. And that's my goal. So like that was the business plan. And so far, so good. It's been five years. It's been a lot of fun. I've never heard anybody describe a business plan on how many hours I'm willing to work and how much money I'm going to make. But I accept that as the new business plan moving forward. So you decided to take the year off. Did somebody yeah. tell you that that was something that was wise? No, to do? I, I really, really tried to be a good employee. I really did. But I'm very good with roles if they make sense to me. I'm less good with them if they don't make sense to me. So I was at the Fortune 200 firm for about four years. And I actually walked away from the last third of my earnout because I was not happy. And literally, I was partnering with someone in the area, the, the department, right, the group that I was in charge of. 
And we had to create a vision for our practice rate for the practice group and where we're going to go. And I laid out this incredible, what I thought was a really incredible vision because that's why they acquired me, right? Right. To do the stuff I'm good at. And the person that I was working with was like, yeah, we can't do any of that. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, the CEO is not going to like, he's not going to sign off on it. I was like, but they brought me in to craft a really compelling vision. So that's what I'm going to do. And if, you know, if they don't like it, then we can have that conversation. So I kid you not, Jerome, I cannot make this using it up. I can't. 27 versions of a PowerPoint deck. I would sit down with the CEO and he would point at a word and be like, I don't think that's the right word. And I'm not kidding. I was like, dear sir, I'm presenting this to the executive team, eight colleagues that I know well. Like, we're going to just break it down and have a combo. I don't think they care about the word. 27 ver. I'm not lying. I counted. This is literally the moment where I was like, I don't think I can do this no matter how much money because I'm a results oriented. Let's have fun. Kick some butt, take some names, do some impact kind of thing. I am not paying. Literally, I was making half a million dollars a year, work 30 hours a week. And I had millions of dollars left in an earnout. So I'm the dumb bunny that's like, I don't think this is really working for me. So I sat down with the CEO and the head of HR. And I said, so we just went through a planning process. I created a vision. 27 versions later, this is the exact same deck we started with minus one thing. I have come to a conclusion. You don't need me to do this. This guy over here, he's pretty capable. He actually loves this plan. He feels really good about it. I do not. So with all the love in my heart, I am going to be leaving now. And so I literally was like, peace out. And I really sat down with my husband and we were like, we've been wanting to live abroad. Kids are young. Why don't we just go to like Turks and Caicos and do some scuba diving? For and then we went there and we stayed for a little bit and then a little bit longer. And then about nine, 10 months in, I got the call from Joe at United and he said, hey, I've got this great deal for you. And our plan wasn't to stay forever. So I was like, hey, that sounds like fun. I love the idea of going off with another awesome team and doing great stuff again. So that deal was 2x. The offer was 2x the first one. So now, like, now we're having a lot of fun. And as I shared, I was there for a few years. And then I walked away from a bunch of that money because my kids did not know me really well. And I was like, not worth it. So peaced out and then retired to the beach. And I think I shared unretired about five years ago with the goal of right building a seven-figure income and business where I just thought it would be really cool to prove that it could be done. I was like, why not? I don't know a lot of people that are doing it. Sounds like fun. Believe it can be done. There's this great quote that I love. It was on my board at my first company. And it was a quote that said, it sounds impossible. Let's do it. It's by the founder of Intel. So that's some insight, like running the shop is not my thing. Like if you want someone to show up every day and just make sure the gears are working, there are people that are brilliant at that. I'm not one of them. I'm a mountain climber. I'm a like, let's go, but I'm like an operator. So like I need to see the vision, but it has to actually work, which is why I think we're really good at scaling and building. I did realize the other day, I told my husband, I said, I think I'm really good at building and scaling value in businesses. I think I might actually be really good at this. I've got this firm that I started and as I shared with you pre-call, we're in some acquisition conversations right now with a number of firms that have approached us. And so I may very well be executing my third acquisition and doubling those numbers again. But what I'm much more excited about is this time around that the party that we will very likely go with, if we go with anyone, is like, great, do whatever you want. You're awesome. If you can do what other people can do in 50 hours and 30, why should we penalize you for awesome? I'm like, exactly. Why should I be penalized for overperforming? Because like, 
everyone else is underperforming and I'm, I'm like, no, we're going to raise the bar. So just super alignment and vision. And again, like I just noticed, I was like, each time I do one of these deals, really the numbers just double. But the really cool part is the more successful you become, the more agency you get over your time in your life and you're willing to use it. So now, you know, I think I told you we got offered a very considerable sum of money to be bought last year, which is kind of what kicked off the, oh, maybe I want to do that again. And they were like, hey, you know, I've done hundreds of deals. They've done hundreds of deals in our great profession. So it's like, you know, we're just, we're going to knock this out. So I started the whole conversation with, you just need to know I work 25 to 30 hours a week, period. They were like, no problem. I was like, no, seriously. And they were like, no problem. So, right. Basically say, here's what I want. Here's what I want. They come back a week later. Yes. Yes to everything. Not one counter, not one. Just yes, 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 yes. Awesome. Let's do this stuff. Oh, here we go. Uh, we talk about this 25 to 30 hours a week. I got to tell you, I think of all the money, you know, and look, I'm not like Getty or anything by any spirit. I watched, I told you, I've walked away from as much money as I've made, quite honestly. But I learned I can make it whenever I want in the way that I want. Like, I do not believe that I have to be stuck in complacency or in crisis of confidence anymore. And those are the two things that utterly stall us, stuck us, shrink us, and keep us from stepping into that next level and creating that next level of success for ourselves. So we had a very nice conversation in which I said, but the whole point of this deal was that I didn't, I was like, I can give you 30-ish, right? There's, you know, time here and travel. Like, we all know it rounds up a bit. I was like, I'm not going to work 50 or 60 hours a week grinding it out so that the CEO can get even richer than he already is. And they were like, well, you know, we kind of grind our people. And I was like, what? The second those words came out of someone's mouth, I was like, look, you guys are awesome. Really love and respect you. You're going to try and change my culture. And really, it works the other way around. My whole mission on the planet is to change other people's sense of possibility and culture the opposite direction. I said, so I wish you all the best of luck. No, thank you. Literally walked away from a very generous deal. And then I was like, you know what? I don't feel remotely bad about that. And then I thought, well, it would be so fun to do it with someone that got me and got what I could do and the way that I do it. So I told you, I just kismeted, like, here's what I want. I want to work with cool people who totally zero pushback on my schedule, who totally understand the impact that we can have and how awesome we are. And, you know, see that be like, I just got this super awesome, we call it success state. It's this kind of place that you can get yourself in. Magic happens when you live there. And literally within 90 days, we had two capital partners and two potential acquirers like approach us literally like in 90 days. I was like, oh, it's going to be fun this time. So yeah, mojo. I call it the mojo. It's kind of cool. And any point on the backside of either one of those exes, did you end up feeling lost? Oh, I was lost before, during, and after. So the first time I realized when my daughter walked across the room, I was like, this is probably not going to be great for my relationship with my family the way that I'm showing up. But it took me like six months to really, as owners and founders, we, if we're not really careful, the business is our identity. Our results are our identity. Our clients liking us and giving us their approval becomes our identity. And the problem with that is, and this is where the time in Costa Rica was so valuable because it's really where I became to understand the power of mindset. And it was literally the only reason I'm here. Otherwise, I'd still literally be retired practicing my surfing and right conjugation of Spanish verbs, which I'm in at. Even after seven years, I'm decent, but not amazing. 
I'm sitting on the beach. I'm, you know, I told you I Googled how to be successful and happy, right? Which leads to an article, which leads to an article, which leads to some research, which leads to me spending like five hours a day, every day, just like, like I'm like hooked, like, oh, the answer is here. I've got to find it, right? So I'm reading, I'm sitting on the beach. I'll never forget it. It's a hallmark moment. You know, this kind you never forget in your whole life. I'm literally on the beach. I see the kids running. I've got my study I've printed out from Carnegie Institute in 1906. Dale Carnegie was huge on, right, learning, growth, and development. Who knew? So he did a study on how people successfully learn, grow, and sustain change. Body, business, school, bank account. He started that research because he was starting university for engineers. And he wanted to optimize their learning, like how they learned, grew, and retained it, which is pretty much, right, you want to improve your body. So it's basically how do humans successfully implement and sustain change in their lives, right? How do we learn, grow, develop? So I thought, it's interesting. I'd like to know more. So it's a very, very thick, very, very boring study. Literally 99% of it's going to melt your brain. But I had a lot of free time on my hands and I'm kind of a closet geek, as I shared. So I'm pouring through it. If you get to the end of it, if you can make it that far, here's the summary. I'll save you the reading. And it's on the Carnegie website. Literally, I had so many people go to the website. It's now one of the most popular questions. Literally at the bottom, it's like top questions. And it's like, what about this study? Because I think everyone just goes there after I talk about it. Here's what they found. There are three key factors to our success. Great. Three is a number I can manage. One, what you know and where you are. Knowledge and environment, right? If I am a PhD in Dubai, it's different than being, right, a trailer park girl from Dallas. Like, just different opportunities available, right? Doesn't mean they're not all there, but, right, the hurdles to get there. So what you know, where you are. Two, skills. That one's easy. You got them or you get them. No one gets to complain about lack of skills. Those are so available. Three, mindset or psychology. And I was like, yeah, I read the book. It's all good. Like, whatever. And then, mic drop moment, mind blown, I read the next line. And I was like, holy shiznit, this is what I've been trying to solve for. And I didn't even know what it was. The next line literally was, of these three factors, they have concluded that our success and our ability to change, grow, and sustain those changes is over 80%, 80, 80% attributable to our mindset, our personal psychology. And I was like, I don't even know exactly what this is. I think I should explore it just a little bit more. And that was the moment where it was like, the data I could drop on you guys, you have 60,000, between 12 and 60,000 thoughts a day, 80% of them. This is not Stephanie and Willa, this is neuroscience. So the last 10 years have been revolutionary in terms of what they've been able to determine, 80% of the thoughts that we have on a daily basis are negative and 95% of those are on a replay loop. I can't, I shouldn't, I don't know how this isn't going to work out. If I raise the fees, the client, well, I can't do that. Someone's going to fire me. And it all, every single time ends with, and it will go bad. I will go bankrupt. I will get eaten by a hungry tiger and I will die, right? Like whatever it is, your largest, hold on, your, I don't care who you are, your largest client calls, your assistant's like, Bob or Jane called, what'd they say? They didn't leave a message. What's the first thing your brain goes to? Oh my God, they're going to fire Oh us. shit, I'm getting fired. Go find the file, go, go find the award. Like you're going to go do your homework and you're going to go into that call from a success state, empowered, clear, conscious, and confident, ready to serve, even if challenged by the client, because that's what you get paid the big bucks for. Or 
Are you going to show up in survival or what we call stress state, right? Fear, uncertainty, doubt, anxiety, stress, the judgment, the blame, the criticism. What are they going to do? Oh my God, what if they fire me? For most of us, if they fired us, it would mean nothing. For most of us, it would literally mean nothing to our lifestyle. But we freak out because our brain is hardwired to do one thing. You know what it is? Focus from pain. Don't die. So your, your prefrontal cortex, the logical, re like I call this Einstein, that's where planning. Hey, I want to double my revenue. I want to do what Stephanie did. I want to make seven figures working 30 hours a week. What's that going to take? Your brain is a curiosity problem-solving machine, I promise you, with a few good questions. We will figure it out, and you'll be clear, conscious, empowered, ready to do it. That's success state. Like, yes, I can. I will. Everything is figureoutable. That's entirely different than stress state, which is where the back of your brain lives. The back of your brain is caveman brain. My husband hates it when I call it that. It's your cave people brain. Call it what you will. Just saying. Caveman brain. Caveman brain is really our limbic system. Has one job. Don't die. The problem with not dying is that this is the part I had to figure out to your point around alignment. I had to figure out that not dying is not at all the same as really living. Not at all the same. And for me, alignment was, I grew up in a trailer park. I want to make a bunch of money because if I make a bunch of money, somehow I'm going to prove that I'm okay and worth it and I won't be a trailer park girl. Guess what? There is no world in which I can't be a trailer park girl. I grew up in a trailer park. So you know what? I got really okay with it. It made me gritty. It made me awesome. It made, like, it taught me a lot of stuff. And you know what? I am classy with the K and I'm totally okay with that. That's my whole thing. I'm classy with the K. There'll be times I'll do something like, sorry, trailer park, classy with the K. That's just what excuse, man. I'm sorry. I didn't grow up in Beverly Hills. Like, I got to remember stuff. You and I were talking, like, I'm wildly honest. And, like, I spent years. Like, dude, you should see that. I wish I had it. Somewhere there's a picture of me on the cover of one of these financial magazines. And I'm, like, in a gray pinstripe. I'm, like, literally a man trapped in a woman's body. In a gray pinstripe stoop. I'm crossing my arms. And I'm, like, they literally said to me, give us a look like you know stuff they don't. And I looked at them and I was, like, I do. What look is that? Like, I know if I'm so they don't, otherwise you wouldn't be putting me on the cover of the magazine. But it's like this, like people look at my clients are like, now the picture of me on my bio and my website, if you go to like limitlessfa.live, literally I'm on the beach like this. Because what I figured out is I was going to show up and be me and lead my business from authenticity. Because you know what? I tried that perfect thing for a lot of years and it sucked. I was happy. You know, some clients I felt like I had to be so serious with. Some clients I felt like I could be myself with. I had to, you know, you work with anyone that comes your way. Can None of that. So for me, what I realized is all of those experiences, I worked so hard to be in those situations that for me, the growth wasn't making more money. The growth was learning how to walk away from it when it didn't fit with my vision. So we came up with what we call the five freedoms of epic entrepreneurs. And this is what, this is the culmination of my success and my time in Costa Rica. I think we all want, especially as founders and entrepreneurs, five basic things. One, freedom number one, I want to work with purpose on my terms. My purpose is to help founders elevate their work, wealth, and well-being. The intersection of those three things is fun and magical, but not always easy. But my terms are, right, 25 to 30 hours a week from the beach of Costa Rica or Park City. If you need me to be in a building every day or you tell me I have to talk with you every Tuesday at 9 a.m., I'm going to be like, peace out. I actually don't need to do any of those things. My job is to offer. Your job is to choose. If it doesn't fit, if my terms don't fit for you, God bless you. And so I used to think, as many of my clients did, 
if a prospect said no, even a good one, you go, oh, something went wrong. I've been bad. I messed up. No, no, no. The reframe, that's survival, that's stress state, right? That's the fear, the uncertainty, doubt, the anxiety, the stress talking. When you're clear, conscious, and empowered, you know what the voices in your head say? They say, actually, when a prospect says no, it doesn't mean something went wrong. It actually means something went really, really right. Because I've been clear. I've laid out my vision. I've laid out our process. I've laid out who we do our best work with. I've laid out how we add value. I've laid out our fees. If you can hear all of that and go, no, I don't want to work with Steph, you should not work with me. A hundred percent. I trust you. I'm not going to try to convince you or cajole you. Like there are way too many people who are what every ideal client or customer should be motivated, able to see the value and happy to pay, not willing, happy to pay. And if you are not those three things, you should not be my client. I'm not going to motivate you. I'm not going to like drag your, like, look how awesome my work with you can be. Like you either get it or you like, if you hear me, you're like, oh my God, I want to work with that girl. She's going to 4X my income and my time off. Or you're like, she's cray crying. I, I don't believe her at all. Like there are people that I know don't call me. They're like, what the hell is she talking about? This mindset, you know, I just want me system. Great. Go grind it out for 80 hours. You're just not ready. You're just not ready for me. And that's okay. Some people are getting ready to get ready. So to me, alignment in the work that we do with clients, the first thing we do, first, always non-negotiable mindset, vision, and time. We get clear and conscious about what we really want and why I wanted to make a bunch of money because I just thought I was supposed to. Now I want to make a bunch more money because I just want to have a like, I believe this life is too bright. It's a very short trip between two bookends of eternity, irrespective of what you believe happens before and after. We don't even have to agree. This is a very short ride. I want to show up. I want to have impact. I want to have reach. I want to do so that freedom. Number one, right? Work with purpose on your terms. Most people are not quite there. Freedom number two, do work that you love. I don't just mean your profession or your field. I mean, on a day-to-day -day basis, most founders are stuck in the running of the shop in the weeds, which is an energy draining, revenue draining activity. We hate it, right? You want to put a pencil in your ear. There's other things you do, energy creating, revenue producing. I, I could talk on podcasts and speeches. I could do that for days. You ask me to write a report, I want to put a pencil in my ear. So you've got to organize your time and your team so that you do work you love. Freedom number three with people that you enjoy clients and team, self-explanatory. Freedom number four, enjoying all of the financial abundance you desire, because let's be honest, there are billionaires out there. So there's a lot of runway before you can tell me it's not possible. That's just a story in your head. And freedom number five, I had to retire to the beach in Costa Rica. I learned all these hard lessons the hard way as I shared, but it was to me the most important. If you do those things, you're in a really good position to live a life of happiness, fulfillment, and contribution. And to me, having been through a lot of highs and lows, a lot of lows, don't think it's all sunshine and roses. I've learned that for me, Im impact is the ultimate income. I mean, yes, you want to have your needs met. You want to have extra. But I got to tell you, man, I get an email a week from someone telling me that I changed their life or they're spending more time with their kids or they're just happy at work. I had a guy call me last week. He's wildly successful, makes millions of dollars. And he was like, I was, I was miserable and grinding it out. I was going to retire. And he's like, we just did this. And he's like, I am energized. I'm empowered. I'm on fire. He is like, he is hiring team members. He's updating his way. I mean, this guy, you would think he was a new person. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. Like sometimes even I'm surprised about, but the secret is like, we've got 30 years of business consulting experience. We're really good. 
But it was that coaching. It was the mindset, personal performance, behave, you know, peak performance, behavioral psychology, neuroscience, where I was like 80% of the resistance, actually, according to the science, this is the hard part. You are hardwired. The odds of change are hardwired nine to one against you, which is why we all say we want a better body, a better business, a better bank account, right? A better, beautiful relationship. We are 95% hardwired by the age of 35, just a pre-programmed set of habit bundles, thought habits, behavior habits, business habits. Most people check email 20 times a day. They spend three to 3.6 hours there. We all know it's a bad idea. We know you can't make millions of dollars a year doing $50 an hour work. And yet most people do it anyway. Like we literally are trapped on a hamster wheel of complacency and mediocrity. And I say this with all love, it's not going to be remotely elegant, but it's true. It's like complacency, right? I call it being uncomfortably comfortable. We're successful enough, but we're not really happy, right? We're like, well, but our time, you know, and it grinds on us. It just steals all of our joy and our energy and our empowerment. So we kind of show up, then it becomes obligatory and then it becomes a grind and then you don't like it. And why would we do that to ourselves, right? Literally, it's just a story in our head uh, that keeps us comfortable and complacent. So I talk about the lollipop of mediocrity. Again, it's not elegant. Please don't hold it against me. There's this thing I call the lollipop of mediocrity. Do you know what the problem with the lollipop of mediocrity is? No. If you take one lick, you will suck forever. I told you it wasn't elegant. I did remember classy with the king. I told you that was one of those moments. It's sugary and sweet and it goes straight to your brain, right? Being like, that's what email is. That's what taking the client that's too small is. That's what putting up with the team member who's not high performing. That's what like stewing in your own mediocrity and complacency when you know in your soul and soul that there is a more and better that calls to you if you didn't know it you wouldn't be bothered that's the incongruent feeling where you're like oh i want to do great work and have a great life and make great money and do good work for people and now i'm stuck in this horrible grind that 80 percent of the time i don't love that's not what anybody envisioned and so there's all these crises of compromise that we make because of our mindset, because of the stories that we tell ourselves that stuck us and stall us and shrink us. If I do this, bad things will happen. Those are almost always the things we need to do to improve our business radically. So what I always tell clients is the cave you fear to enter is almost always where your treasure lies. But we are not hardwired to do any of that. We're hardwired to stay safe and comfortable. Our brain is like, stay right here, girl. It's pretty, it's not perfect, but you're not getting eaten by a tiger. So to put ourselves out there means we literally have to on purpose walk into the cave, open the tiger's mouth and stick our own head in. And let's be honest, that's not easy. That's why I do coaching. Cause you know, sometimes it's, it's easier when you have a partner. The cave yeah. you fear to enter is where your treasure lies where your treasure lies it's just a a funner version of right what got you here won't get you there you literally are exactly where you are right now because of your thought habits behavior habits and business habits i could come into your life and just literally in a day take notes and be like stop doing all of this and you will double in half the time i could literally do that for pretty much anyone listening to this call the problem is you won't do what I advise you to do. So here's what I always tell people at the end of speaking engagements. I give them all these tools and trips and tactics and ideas, right? It's not theory, like we're getting in there. 
And then I show a giant picture of a suitcase full of money. So if I said, Jerome, you're going to work with these kinds of clients. You're not going to compromise. You're going to build these systems. You're going to hire these people. You're only going to check email twice a day, which is my favorite thing because that makes everyone uncomfortable. And it's what you should all be doing or you're literally throwing money into a hole, literally into a hole. And Jerome, whatever your big goal is, let's say you want another half a million dollars in revenue or income. Jerome, I'm going to put a suitcase with a half a million dollars of cold, hard greenbacks on your conference table lit open for you to see every day. All you have to do or follow the strategies, the success models for about models, right? Success leaves clues. My clients do not make anything up from scratch. We've done it a hundred times before. Just got to get the mindset there. Jerome, I'm going to give you that money at the end of the year if you just do these five things. Deal? Deal. And you're like, hell yeah, absolutely. Hey, Jerome, here's the catch. One tiny little catch. I'm going to walk into your office every time you deviate, you check email a third time that day, you take a client that's below your minimum, you don't market according, whatever like thing that got in your way, we call that resistance, right? Distractions, procrastination, compromises. I'm going to fly out to the office. I'm just going to take 25 grand back, okay? That sounds hefty. Yeah, I know. And you know what the research says? This is the part that blows my mind. Do you know how many times you will let me do that before you really get it? One. Nope. That seems logical, right? It's actually two, right? When they, they do the studies in different, you know, different environments. But here's the thing. The first time you're like, ow, that hurt. And then your next time your brain's like, it's fine. And then you're like, ow, it hurt. And then your brain's like, oh, 25 became 50. Oh, it's compounding. And then it's like, oh, got it. Now the pain, now it can project the cost of the decision. It can project. This is so critical. Now, the cost of your compromise, Jerome, is tangible in cold, hard cash. So you will stop that shiznit quick. You think once, but it's really twice. The only difference between that scenario and the suitcase full of money is that you have a suitcase full of money. You can 2x, 4x, 10x. I've had clients that have 15x in four years. No joke. It's a wild ride. You're from three people to 25 is not a cakewalk, but he is like people have done it and they're pretty happy about it. Working, by the way, the same or less time. That's the crazy kicker. That's the crazy kicker. So it can be done. The question we have to ask ourselves is, are we clear? Are we conscious? Are we committed to creating a business that actually aligns with what we say we want? Because the truth is we lie to ourselves most of the time, fib. Because the tongue in our mouth and the tongue in our shoes, 95% of the time, are not moving in the same direction. They're I not. Was. You're going to tell me I want this and this and this, and I'm going to follow you around in your office, and I'm going to be like, well, that's not going to happen, and that's not going to happen. And you're going to be like, okay, you're right about that. Okay, good point. Right, and that awareness is the number one key to creating new levels of success. You have to be aware, oh, what's really happening is I'm not hitting the revenue or the time, or the joy goals that I want. No, no, that's the surface level. That's your, right, you're just out there brain. You got to get behind what's the why that's going to really motivate you to create that next level of success. Because if you know what that big why is, the why will always overcome the what ifs, if it's big enough. So we don't even know why we're growing. We're just like, oh, let's grow 20% because that's what I'm supposed to put in a business plan. Why? Do you really want to grow 20%? Do you want to grow 10x and have half your time back? And people are like, I can't do that. And I'm like, why not? Says who? Tell me where in the, the handbook it says you can't do that. I don't have that handbook. You I have, have example handbook? after example of example of people who were doing it, but I don't have a handbook that says you can't. 
So we all live very conditional lives. We look around. Think about you peel a banana, Jerome. You ever peel a banana? And y'all, we all peel a banana. You pick up the banana, you grab the top, you peel it. Right? If it's too ripe, it's like you got to peel the leaves, the little strings, right? And if it's not ripe enough, right, then the top's all mucky. No matter who you are, you end up taking your thumb or a knife, you cut the banana and you peel it. You got to do a little bit of work. In Costa Rica and Central and South America, where I have spent a fair bit of time, do you know that that is not how they peel a banana, Jerome? Actually, turn that banana upside down. They grab the butt flat in with their thumb and their forefinger. They pinch and they twist, and two sets of leaves come off perfectly intact with all those pesky strings inside. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. How can we be the, the most educated, richest, most technically advanced country in the world? In the world. And we don't know how to peel an actual piece of fruit. And it's because we make copies of a copy. We look around, we see this is the mold. This is what you do. The, oh, I have to work hard and long. Okay, I got to grind. And I'm not saying that there aren't long, hard hours. I'm not saying that there are moments of grind. But we allow it become our everyday experience. In our business, we have sprints. There are times where we're like, hey, got a big goal. We got to really dig in. Our team this year has had just, we're all sandwich generations. I have two people whose parents are dying of stage four cancer. One who's literally in a burn center because there was a house fire. And because that's not enough, we've been giving them all part-time, right? Part-time work for full-time pay because they take care of us. We take care of them. So that's really nice. And then last week, my dad decided he would have a heart issue and going to hospital and have surgery on it. It's like, dude, I'm trying to run a company over here. What's going on with everyone? And, and that's life. And that's life. So we have to sit down and have conversations like, how are we going to manage this? And what are, how are we going to pinch it? And like, there are very clear, conscious conversations around what do we have to give up? Like, hey, what can we not do right now? Because we simply don't. And like for, for an entrepreneur or a founder to be like, what am I not going to do is like, uh, blasphemy. Right. Like more is always the answer. So we're just sort of on this hamster wheel where we all we know how to do a lot of the time it, because it's all our hard wiring. We are 95 percent likely, 95 percent drone to do today what we did yesterday. You have a five percent window where you can take agency over your mindset, your vision and your time, which are the three things that every really human, but certainly founders and professionals Need to, I don't care what your business is. I don't care what your skill set is. I don't care if you're in services or tennis shoes. Minds or the president of the United States mindset, right? You get paid to think. The quality of your thoughts matters immensely. Two, vision, right? What do you really want? Why do you want it? So that every decision you make can actually align. Tongue in the mouth, tongue in the shoes, moving in the right direction. And time. Most people waste on average at least 50% of their time in terms of things that are not wildly productive, not aligned with the goal, or not moving the needle in any real ways. Fake work. We love to feel productive, but at the end of the day, we're like, that didn't feel great. And at the end of the month, we're like, God, we didn't get to any of that really big, important stuff. All right, those are the three things that we start everyone on. Anyone can focus on those. I mean, I literally Googled it. A lot of people want to unlock their ultimate potential but lack the strategy, support, and stamina necessary to achieve their major goals. They often try to overcome these challenges by trying to do it on their own, causing frustration, fatigue, and eventually failure. We have developed a model for a center life, aka the red pill, to help them bolster their beliefs, gain clarity on their path to success, and provide accountability as they take action on their goals. When they take the red pill, they rapidly accelerate attainment of their goals and begin to experience a life of significance and impact. Want to find out more? Hop over to JeromeMyers.co. Now, let's get back to the episode. 
this has been wild ride. I promise the listener. As I think about many of the episodes that we've had and the founders who struggle with the exit paradox, and that's all of these feelings of letting go of oh, yeah. the piece of their identity that was wrapped up in the business and the loss of certainty that came from sending their friends and their day-to-day routine away. I think it's very interesting that you found answers on a beach. But I don't know that as I unpack it and process what you shared, that you actually found the answers on the beach. I think you were already seeking prior to that. I think I was seeking. I think I found, you know, I call it the secret sauce. We call it the mojo around here. It like literally, some days we feel like we make magic happen. We're like, wow, that was incredible. How did that come to pass? That it really is. You and I were talking about this before we hit the record button. There's so much mindset, psychology, personal stuff that goes into selling a firm, you know, doing a deal. There's lots of highs and lows. I've done hundreds of deals, right? Just in terms of the M&A space, like, you know, we build our business almost like it's a baby. We invest ourselves in it. And the fundamental issue, and I struggle with this so hard the first time and then not once after that. And it took me like six months, I told you, to just really uncork, you know, kind of untether myself from the idea of being Stephanie Bogan on the cover. And I really got to a point where I was like, wow, I want to go stand on a beach and be nobody and be really wildly happy with myself. Nobody, nowhere, knowing nothing. I want to be like, I want to be of no, you know, people are like, oh, who are you? I'm like, nobody. And what do you do? Just consulting. Like, if people Google you and you're like, oh, you're pretty. I'm like, no, just nobody. Just literally nobody. I just had gotten so caught up, not from a, like, ooh, I got to be so awesome, but it was really approving, right? It was a, I've got to make it okay. And the only way to make it okay is to accomplish more, be more, make more, achieve more, have more, and more, more, more equal just a really cool looking version of mediocrity. If that, I call it being uncomfortably comfortable. I was wildly uncomfortable. And yet I had every comfort and convenience for all practice. I mean, I don't have a private plane or anything crazy, but yeah, a beautiful home. I could take trips wherever I want. I, did, I could work. I could not work. I mean, that, you know, when you come from a trailer park, that's pretty blessed. Like, I never thought that would be my life. I think it's pretty um, blessed regardless of where you uh, came Yeah, from. and then truly now what I realize is so much more is possible. And like, why did I compromise? So my next goal was like, one day I was like, what do you, I wonder if I could build a $25 million company in 25 hours a week. And I just thought, oh, I don't know. I don't think anyone's ever done that. I think we should prove that it's possible. Like I was like, I should be running around the world telling everyone you can build a $25 million company. I like, first I got to do it, right? So that's kind of the far and right 2.0 or 3.0, whatever chapter A happened to be in. Now it's just like, wow, this idea that having a really big idea has to be bad or scary. I'm like, I don't know if I can do it. Sounds fun as heck. Let's give it a go, right? If we got halfway there, it's totally pretty awesome, right? And so often we get stuck in the business is me and my identity. I promise you it's not. It's just that we've never given ourselves space to figure out who we are outside of the business. Most of us don't have a bunch of hobbies. It's like working kids, working kids, working kids. And you always feel like that's a tug of war. You're never winning. The letting go, man, that's hard because literally it has nothing to do with work, by the way. Genuinely, it has everything to do with worth. If I'm okay without the recognition, without the income, without the accolade, that means I'm genuinely okay with who 
and where and how I am. And that was, for me, I joke, it was my midlife crisis meets spiritual awakening, what I call my own personal renaissance. That's just what I call it. Uh, I go through one about every 10 years. I'm in another one right now. We'll talk about that in a couple of years. But it was the first time that I realized that my ability to be successful should not come at the expense of my ability to be happy. And then next level, I was like, all right, I'm willing to walk away and do that. And then what I learned along the way, right, via mindset and psychology was, oh, I don't have to choose. I can be more because the stories we tell ourselves are if I, you know, the client that I was telling, he was like, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I've been doing this for 30 years, blah, blah, blah. I was like, what if it could just be fun again? And he was like, how's that going to happen? I'm like, well, let's talk about it. So I always, the coaches, I always say, if you ask better questions, you get better answers. I was like, what are your, so this is an activity anyone can do and it will change their life. And it's about as simple as I can make it. You're going to take a piece of paper. You're going to draw a line on that piece of paper. It's very sloppy, by the way, because I'm writing upside down and backwards. Above that paper is a plus and below. Remember how I talked about success state and stress state? This is success state. When we're here, we are clear, we're conscious, we're empowered, we're creative, we're abundant, we're yes, I can. Ooh, big idea. Ooh, why not 20? Ooh, what would it take to make that happen? I can, I will. Everything is figure outable. This is your success state. The problem is we spend about like 5% of our time here. But we've all had those moments where we're like, yes, if I could spend my time here, I would take over the world, right? The line is, you know, you wake up, you're happy, you're kind of, you're not like high, you're not low, right? Stasis in the language of research. Below the line is your stress state or your survival state. This is where fear, uncertainty, doubt, anxiety, stress, judgment, blame, criticism. I don't know. I can't. I shouldn't. I'm not good enough. I'm an imposter. I can't charge that. People will find out. You know what the really bad part is? We spend between 70 and 95% of our time on a daily basis below the line. And then we wonder why we can't get ahead. Why is that? Shift your success state, right? This is about like, how do I get to that happy, positive? Yes, I can. I'm not going to let the stories in my head stuck me or shrink me. I'm going to figure it out. So now what you do is now pretend this is time. This is mind blowing. We're going to take that same line that you're going to double your revenue in half the time. Above the line are your energy creating revenue producing activities. What do you love to do, Jerome, that you could do all day, every day, never get, I could talk on this podcast, ask my family, ask my friends. I could do this for 19 hours and I would not be tired until I was done. I love talking with people about possibilities. I love tactics and business and strategy. And like, it's to me the fun and like, I literally have the best job and I cannot believe people pay me to talk to them about shit that I totally love and would do for free. It's awesome. I won't do it for free because I add a massive amount of value right? And I'm going to turn that income into impact in other ways. That seems like a fair trade to me. I'm not going to apologize. You should be really successful and you should never have to apologize for it, by the way. Below the line, negative activities. These are the opposite. This is the stuff you hate, you procrastinate, you put it off, you get distracted, you, you know, rush in the 11th hour. You would literally cut off your right arm if you never had to do it again. When you sit down to do one of these, you know it because within five minutes, you want to put a pencil in your ear. Like, I hate this. Now, here's the trick. You're going to take this piece of paper. You're going to draw a line all the way across. And then you're going to draw columns. And in those columns, you're going to write other titles. And then you're going to write dates. And everything below your line has to go into someone else's above the line column. I have people on my team that love doing tech. 
I've literally multiple times built multi-million dollar tech platforms. It's so fun. You know what I hate? Working in tech. I clicked the button. It didn't work. I don't know. Don't ask me. Go figure it out. I don't want to open it. I don't want to look at the code. I want to do none of that. I just want to click the button and I want it to work. That's my engagement with tech. That's it. I'm honest about it. That is way down here for me. But you know what? Catherine on my team, she learns new programs at night for fun. For fun. And I'm like, okay, go, like, go you, girl. Like, that is amazing. I'm not doing that. I'm off researching big ideas to share with people to write. Like, teamwork makes the dream work. So if you take your negative below the line activities and over the course of one to three years, depending on your income and situation, and you get rid of everything down here. And if you have one iota of an idea in your head that tells you that you can't, it's a lie that your brain is telling you, you can. You just have to figure out what it's going to take. I promise it's possible. Unless you have a business that's more than 150 billion, we've been there and done that. Like it all works, right? Like after that, I don't know. I am not going to claim because I haven't done it. You get rid of the stuff down here, you will double in half the time. If you look at every model of success where people take that next, next level, they get rid of 80% of what they're doing because 80% of what you're doing right now will keep you in right now. If you want next to be different, you have to give something up. And our brains are hardwired. Just can't do that. I can't, I can't invest in that person. I can't let that go. What if it doesn't work? You know how many things I have done that don't work? Oh my God. Like a lot of them. Your job is hit like seven out of 10. So we always like to say, you don't fail, you win or you learn. Like you just keep going. But every one of those lessons is an investment in your future success. And we get really down and we get over everyone that I know way too much of the time is an overwhelm. They're struggling with what I call taskless tsunami, right? The wave of tasks is always hanging over you and you can never get to it. That is an utterly disempowered stress state. We are literally showing up every day below that line, compromised complacent, suffering from a crisis of confidence. And most people are still doing pretty good. Can you imagine what's possible when you get out of that, what I call the invisible force fields, that resistance, that those mindsets and the stories telling you you can't, you shouldn't, you don't. Like what happens when you actually get clear and conscious and committed to a course of action that is radically aligned with your goals? Kismet happens. That's what happens. And it's magic. We just struggle to do it because fear is the emotion that we are most governed by. And change equals fear. So I'm sure there's somebody out there and it's the first time they heard the 80-20 concept of giving up 80% of the stuff you're doing or stopping to doing yeah. the 80%. That can, that's applied to clients as well, I would assume, right? It could be. It depends on the business that you're in, right? Like we're in financial planning and professional services. And so we look at client segmentation and profitability. And so we call it right-sizing your client base. It depends entirely on your situation. So I always tell clients, like, I'm not a cookie cutter and you're not a cookie. So I can give you blueprints for success. I can give you models. And we always say success leaves clues. But you still have to, it's like getting a really fine suit off the rack. You still have to great tailor it, nip it and tuck it just to you. So if you look at, Client profitability, we have clients who've had, you know, we call legacy clients, right? Financial planning clients they've had over the years that are smaller, right? Some of them will transition those out. Some of them will push them off to a service advisor, right? So they can actually get the attention they deserve. 
Some of them will do what we call MVP or minimum viable plan. We call it a container strategy, right? We can figure out what our base level planning that we feel like legit good about, right? But we're not going to do all this fancy stuff that people don't need. We're going to make that affordable. We're going to systematize most of that service model. And we're going to provide a really good level of financial planning, right, in those clients' cases for about half of what we normally did because we're not doing it the right the unoptimized inefficient old school way right there are just new ways to operate on the business side of the business we call it building a bionic business where we're creating massive leverage in sales and marketing onboarding client servicing right staffing like they're with technology and the shifts that have changed like the world is changing we're in dawning digital age everybody is looking for omnichannel experiences it's all about digitalization, differentiation, and discipline. The firms that are doing really well have digital experiences. They have a differentiated market position, and they have discipline around the business, right? We're not taking every client because, I mean, think about it. You ever had a prospect ask you for a discount? Yeah. Pretty much anyone in business has, right? Professionally, especially in professional services. If you're selling tennis shoes, maybe not. But if you're an advisor or an accountant or a doctor and you've had someone ask you, and here's where the mind, this is just a good example of where mindset really shrinks us because people are like, what do you mean? It doesn't really shrink me. Really? So prospect asks you for a discount. Now, Jerome, in, in, right, in financial planning, I've set my fee. I put it in my ADV, right? I'm now bound. Right, that's my contract with like, hey, world, this is what I've decided I want to charge for the services and value I provide. You know, they've someone's reached out. They've been interested in planning, which means there's actually motivation because, come on, let's be honest, people don't wake up and go, oh, I need a financial plan today, like a roller coaster. Like, you have to have a reason. Then they've gone to your website, spent a fair bit of time there learning about you. Then they probably had a 10 or 15 or 20 or 30-minute conversation with you, right, the learn more call. And then they've had a discovery meeting via Zoom or in person. So we're like a few hours in and through this whole discovery process, Jerome, you've sat there for hours sharing who you are, what you do, the value you can add, how you're going to be awesome, personal strategies for them, right? You've done it all. And you look across at them and you say, we love adding this value. Our fee to create this value in your life and help you achieve your goals is X. And that prospect, after having done all of that, says, that was amazing. I love all that value. I love it so much. Damn it, Jerome, one tiny little... I just, I value it just a teensy bit less than you do. So I would like you to give me all that awesome. I think it's great. I just want you to give it to me for like 20% less. We're not going to tell those clients that we're not smart enough to ask for a discount. Bummer for them. I'm smarter than them. And when I call and when you do my work, I want you to forget about all of that. And I want the same expertise, love, care, attention, and commitment that you would give someone paying full fees. And I want you to love me for it. What do you say, Jerome? And you would say, no, you would say help to the no. I asked people like I've asked people 3000 people in a room and they're all like, no way. And I'm like, fibbers, because that's exactly what you do when you say yes to a prospect. You are literally saying, I sat down, I thought about my services. Maybe you picked it out of the air, but you probably looked at someone else's website. You did a little bit of research. You're like, this seems good. And that you put it in print, like you filed it with a state and federal agency, depending on your set size. You, literally, you go through this whole process of communicating value, which for our clients is very structured and disciplined, right? 70% or better conversion rate. Not the case for most people. That's where the discipline piece comes in. And they say to you, I want all that. I just want it for less. And 95% of the time we go, sure thing. And then we kick ourselves for it later. You know what most people haven't done? 
One, every time I ask people that, they shrink a little bit. They're like, sorry, I do do that. <clears throat> but when I frame it that way, you're like, hell no, I would never do that. I'm like, really? Because you've done it many, many times. A prospect's never going to put it to you that way, ever. They're also never going to walk in and say, hey, by the way, I really appreciate your fees are low. And I recognize that means you can't hire great staff to leverage your time. So you're going to be doing my paperwork, which means you're not going to be spending time on quality advice because you're going to be way too busy and you're not going to be investing in the best tech and marketing and building a really great practice. So you can you're just going to be scrambling and trying to keep up and you're going to deal with me in the 11th hour. But hey, I would love to hire you like no one would do that. We would not say that to someone. And so those are the breakdowns. When I reflect back on people, what's really happening? Oh, what's really happening is your largest client called and your brain freaked out and said you're going to get fired. You should be thinking the opposite. Oh my gosh, this person gave me all their money. I told them they can count on me and to call me with any questions. And they are. I get to like show them what I'm worth today. Even if they're challenging me, that's okay. That's why I make the big bucks. My job is to say, I told them I would do it. I will sit in this space when you get scared and uncomfortable and I will hold your hand. You know what you didn't say? I'm going to be freaking out right there with you because I'm not really that confident. I'm going to be so worried that you're going to fire me that I'm not going to show up clear and conscious and committed to the goals that like, I'm going to shrink back and hope you don't. We would never say that to a prospect. Ever. We honestly don't like to say it to ourselves but when we reflect it back, we're like, yeah. I hear the phrase I hear all the time is, well, when you put it that way, Steph, that's my job is to put it that way. So those are just little examples of the crazy. So we did a fee analysis with one of our clients years ago. He was a 38-year-old advisor. He had an $800,000 business. His exceptions, those fee exceptions, he said, I have a few exceptions, which in consulting land meets go look really deeply. $80,000 a year. That's 10% of his revenue. Now, imagine over 20 years, that's $1.6 million. Add some compounding interest at 7%, and that's $2.36 million. And by the way, we're assuming that he stopped. At that moment, he never made another compromise. That was just the cost of the ones that he'd made. And we're not even talking about monetizing the equity value of that cash flow. We're just talking about actual lost cash flow. Had he stopped that day? So he obviously went back and raised feet, right? And he, but he had to right size the practice, which was terrifying because he was certain that he was going to raise fees and everyone was going to leave. They were all going to tell their friends. They were all going to fire him. He was going to go bankrupt, get eaten by a hungry tiger, and he was going to die. You know what happened? As usually happens, he got pushed back from maybe one or two clients. I've done this literally hundreds of times. The clients you get pushed back from every time you know what I hear, those were the clients that needed to go or that are not my ideal. So because the people who are motivated, able to see the value and happy to pay, don't give you that pushback. We had a client literally who raised his planning fee from $600 to $6,000 because $600 was way too low, way like he was stuck in this crisis of confidence. We'd had all these conversations. And he was, you know, we call it the white knuckle moment. He was really trained at, right, get over the hump. So he quotes the old fee to a couple. They come in. He, he's like, please stop telling this story. It's so embarrassing, but it's really funny. The wife, he quotes the fee. The wife looks at the husband and says, that's the same as a shitty car payment. Let's do it. And he called me up and he was like, I'm ready. Like, I cannot be compared to a shitty car payment. I am like literally managing people's financial lives, their net worth, their wealth, their well-being. What? I get it. But it literally took our conversations and then someone pointing out, you know, what the comparable value was. Like, if it's a shitty car payment, I think maybe you're worth a little bit more. 
And so for him, that was the the big why moment where he realized that he was just so stuck worrying about what people's response to his fees would be that he didn't have the confidence to raise them to the level that should be reflected by the value. He was, now that was five years ago. He 2X'd in two years, 3X in three years, 4X in four years. He did all of that while taking loads of time off, getting his pilot's license. Then he fulfilled his dream of buying a plane. Like in five years, he went from 200,000, 250,000 in, in, in revenue to like 1.5, 1.2, 1.5. And, and he now works like, you know, 70% of the time. Like it's possible, right? But, you know, Einstein has this quote. It's probably my favorite quote if I have to pick one. And if you spend any time with me, you know that I got a lot of them. Einstein said, no problem can be solved with the same consciousness that created it. Out. If you want to change your practice or your life, you have to first change and foremost change your thinking about the possibility, how you execute, what it's going to take, what you need to account for. And then one of my favorite questions, what are you willing to invest your time in and to what effect? And if we got really clear about that and we got really aligned about that for most people, if we're being really honest, you're not going to be doing 60 to 80% of what you're doing. And most of you would be happy to let it go, especially if you get to do the stuff above the line. You're just stuck in I can't, I don't want to, or I don't know how land. And I'm just here to tell everyone that's why my title is Chief Possibility Officer. More and better is available to you. Those five freedoms are available to you, but you have to be willing to step outside your comfort zone. You have to be willing to face that crisis of confidence and step over the things that are stuck in you. The only limits that we really have truly are the ones that we place on ourselves. Wow. Can you tell I get excited about these topics? Yeah. A hundred percent. And you speak with so much conviction. And I think it's because you know, right? There's, you you speak from a place of knowing. There's a bunch of people who read books or watch videos and then they're parroting something they saw or heard somebody else say or do. But you're talking about things that you've done. You've led other people through them. And in that, there's a level of conviction that I don't think many people begin to understand without either a long period of time exposed to somebody like you or spending time in the space of actually going in the cave and finding the thing that's in the cave and actually wrestling with the tiger or the bear or Whatever literally someone was like you put it so they were like you're so right you're literally asking me to walk up to the tiger open his mouth and stick my head and i said well yeah if it were easy everyone would do it yeah. everyone would do it if, have you ever met so this is the thing like i just try to be radically honest because we know i trade perfect and that obviously did not work out it just required way too much energy no one was ever happy I was constantly bending myself over backwards to be everything to everyone. And like I said, when I unretired the second time, I was like, I'm just going to do me. That's what I'm going to do. And that's honestly, I don't even get credit for that. Stephen Covey, who you're probably familiar with, this is one of my other hallmark moments. I'm running on the beach, literally ends in tears. I'm running, right? I'm finding myself on my journey. Who am I without work is what it basically boiled down to. And there was this conversation and he was talking and it literally stopped me in my tracks on the beach. I'll never forget exactly where like tears start flowing. And it was this, never let anyone else's opinion of you be more important than your opinion of you. If you believe that you can have a wildly successful business and a life that you love, that you can have clients that you love working with that are happy to pay for your fees, that you can build a really efficient business 
and deliver really deep value and leverage people, process, and platform in a way that allows you to make impact and income, then it's possible to you. But we will not do what we do not believe is possible. And so we are all like on a thermostat. It's conditioned behavior, right? I can't tell you how many clients that have gotten to 200,000 in income or a million in income or 3 million in income, and then they stall out. And it's never a method issue. It's always, you know, my dad was a Boy Scout leader. And when the other dads weren't at the thing, at the weekend retreats, he would always, you know, make some comment about how they prioritize work over their family. Literally, I've had clients who were like, I don't want to tell people that I have a plane or a boat or, you know, like not Adam, because he's like, go for, you know, like literally I'm like, so you want to be successful, but you're ashamed of it. Well, yeah, I don't want my family to know. Like, because, right, we're hardwired to be part of the tribe. And if your family came from the wrong side of the tracks or they talked about people with money in a bad way, if you become one, your brain tells you you're going to get kicked out of the tribe. And what happens when you get kicked out of the tribe as a caveman? You die. You die. You die on your own, right? So the tribe's hardwired to kind of keep us there. We're hardwired to want to stay there. And I can't tell you how many diverse clients, how many clients like me who came from the trailer park with no means stall ourselves out because we hit some ceiling where we don't feel worthy and like we don't expect that next level of success. We tell ourselves, and the second you break that story, you know what happens every time? Hockey stick. Whoosh, off you go. It's incredible. Like it's really, I spent 27, 20 years, 25, I guess it's been seven. So like 20 years mastering business practices. And we were really good at it. We got bought a cut, right? We weren't getting paid the big bucks for being, you know, average. But when I learned about the power of, so now we call it business plus behavior, right? Mindset with methods, that's where you get the 2X, the 3X, the 4X, the 10X, not in 10 years or 15 years, but in right two, three or five, because now you've got a vision and we're just lining everything up. What's in, what's out? Does it work? And every time those stories come up, we just, we deal with them and we just make our way through the fire. And you'd be amazed how far down the field you can move when you're clear, when you get clear, get focused and get to work, actually working on the things that are going to move the needle in the direction of your dreams. We just spend most of our time not doing that stuff. So when you were going through what we call the founder's exit paradox, this finding of yourself, this unraveling of your identity from the entity unpeople pleasing or deciding not to be a people pleaser anymore. You went down a coaching route, it sounds like, and yep. became somebody who's a coach themselves in a lot of ways. And in addition to building businesses still for the people out there who were like, I don't have a diagnosis. Like I don't have a mental health issue. I don't yep. need to go see a psychologist or a counselor or a therapist. Yep. Will you explain why you went down the coaching path? Because I think yeah. most people try to figure it out on their own and they get lost in that. So I'll go, you know, I think there's a lot because there's a lot of crossover, right? Think about consulting, coaching, and then right therapy or counseling. So consulting is what we'll call directive. Someone has a body of knowledge and experience that others want to draw on. Hey, here's my problem and situation, right? We come in and we're like, hey, you could do this. You could do this. You Like I've got a client right now, right? Multi, huge firm, billions of dollars, two founders, 83 and 77. They are making their exit. They are holding on with both hands. I mean. White knuckle, baby. Oh, they are like, I'm like in their 
peeling it like, you know, finger by finger. And I used to do that and it used to take me a long time, but we would get there. We go into this engagement and in the span of two months, we have gone from, we've been trying to do this for three years. We keep talking about things and nothing happens or we stop and start. And then there's all these breakdowns because we stop and start and then people get frustrated. And in the span of right, two to three months, we have gone in, diagnosed the issue, raised what we need to account for, asked the better questions to get the better answers. And now the two founders are like, here's the spreadsheet. I'm having calls next week. And I was like, slow your roll. I actually need to write the script and make sure like we're all prepared and everybody we can track the, you know, but they literally went from, no, nope. they were nodding yes, by the way. That's always what happens. Yeah, I'm totally okay with this. My brain is freaking the flip out. And I was nice and I could see them looking at me and they were like, who is this chick? What is she, you know? And I think I, I'll tell you, like, I think we have a really collegial, respectful, I think they realize that I really respect, right, the founder's journey and where they came from and all that goes. I said to the whole team, I said, why would they want to change? They've been doing it with wild success for 40 years. They're making great money. Their clients love them. You're all coming in like G2. We got to change everything. And they're like, why? It's not it's broken. Risky. And you're all like, oh my God, you guys are so old school. Why won't you get off the dime? You know, you're dragging us down and it's time to move on. And I'm like, yeah, totally get that too. Really do. It is like you are buying the firm for millions of dollars. It ends actually now in your purview to make some changes. Totally agree with that. But we got to reconcile space in between where everybody feels dignified and respected. Like I always want to engage in transactions where all parties get to leave with their dignity intact. That's the key, right? Whether it's a staff, a partnership, an acquisition. And I think we get so in our own head. And so the, for me, I didn't know it at the time, but now if I were going to tell myself, it would be like, take stock of the voices in your head. Because they are literally the bridge between your subconscious, right? Those underlying belief systems, right? If I grew up in a trailer park and I think I have to be perfect to be pleasing, I'm going to be a prover. If I think I have to make money to be okay, huge issue with founders. How are we all okay? We grind. We work hard. And then one day we don't have to. And you're sitting around and you're like, I'm not having to work hard, but I want to jump out of my skin because I don't know what to do when I'm not working hard. The issue is that there's often a story, right, deep in our mindset that says working hard is how everything is okay. Hey, Steph, you didn't know if you were going to be on the street at any day, right? You've been working hard, you know, and how, did, how was I always okay? I moved out at 17. I got a part-time job, right? I worked, I mean, I was grinding, right? Then I went to, got my legal secretary certificate, went to a big firm, just ground it out to show them how awesome I was. Get the neck, like the, the MO was Steph will be okay if Steph busts her hump and grinds it out. And then literally 30 or 20 years in, I'm gonna be like, no, no grinding. Your brain doesn't just go, oh, never mind, grinding not needed. Your brain goes, I had a client sell this firm last year and he was like, what am I gonna do? And I was like, have you given yourself permission to like even experiment? You don't even have to know. Like, you're literally like, I'm selling my firm. What am I gonna do with my time? I was like, do you have to know? Like, if we're honest, you've spent 30 years not giving yourself permission to find out. Do you really have to like have an answer in 30 days? I was like, you're putting yourself in a corner where you're forcing yourself to lose. Like, how about you just give yourself a year to flow and figure it out? And what if you're just like, hey, I'm going to work 10 hours and I'm going to try some new things. And he was like, I can do that. I was like, it's going to be awesome. You're like, we optional. <laughs> but, well, it really is. But we honestly don't know how. So most of the time, if you have a story that says grinding it out, 
is how you get ahead or it's how you're okay. So I said to him, I said, you know, his wife was really freaking out. Like, she's like, are we going to be okay? Can you really sell the business? And I was like, look, I know exactly what's going on in her head. What's going on in her head deep, deep, deep is the way we've been okay is you show up and go to work. It's very controllable. Now it's all just going to be money in an account and nobody's doing anything. And brains are like, is this really okay? Like when you've been grinding as a habit for 20 or 30 years, you don't just turn off the grind and chill. And if you're not at that exit stage yet, or you're like me where you've exited and you come back and forth, what we all want is, I call it the edge. And by the edge, what I mean is, I want to show up. I want to do awesome work. I want to be amazing at it. I want to kick butt, take names, have impact, make great money. And then I want to turn it off, go home and chill out with my family without worrying about it until tomorrow. That's a hard line for most people. And that's the piece that we don't always know how to conquer. And that's where the joy and the time and the freedom come. That that's where we might be successful, but we're giving up those intangibles that are worth, to at least to me, just as much. We're probably worth more on the backside of having access to the resources because, you know, the trading time for money can stop once you have enough money to solve the money problems. I've just found that the money, the financial freedom that everybody's chasing based on the American dream doesn't actually solve any of the real problems. It only solves the problems that can be solved by money. It just tends to be an amplifier. So this has been phenomenal. Steph, I want to, Thank you for being so generous with your time and your story. I don't know if we got all of the stuff that nobody else knew about, but I feel like we got some of the things. <laughs> you did and for-, for that, the listeners need to probably listen to this two or three times so that they can pull out all the nuggets because I've been over here thinking to myself, how can she drop so many bombs in such a short period of time? It was like, all right, there's one here and then there's one here, three words. Oh, there's another one. and. <laughs> I just think it is so rare for somebody to speak from a place of knowing, right? It's, it's one thing when people say, oh, you're dropping knowledge bombs because you repeated something that somebody else said and you don't actually have it as a part of who you are through lived experience. But when you speak and the way you speak with the conviction that you speak and the fact that you trusted that your gifts would make room for you, you trusted that you could actually be you and you would be accepted as you and you've decided not to acquiesce or deviate from that path, it says a lot. And it's a great example for us as founders who are striving to exit or going through the exit paradox and trying to figure out what's next and realizing that you don't have to have it right now. But it is highly probable that if you get some help, you'll find it a whole lot faster than just trying to figure it out on the beach or backpack it through Europe or some of the other things that we see a lot of people do when they're trying to figure out their next mountain. Would you like to say anything on the backside of that? No, I look, I just think to our point, right? Consulting is directive. Therapy is really about healing your past. Coaching sits kind of in the middle because coaching is really about focusing forward. Where are you and where do you want to go? And yeah, you talk about like what's holding you back. But you don't have to cry on the couch, right? There don't have to be tissues. It's just great, clear and conscious conversations about what you want and what's standing between you and that. And therefore, if we can be radically honest with ourselves, it's pretty easy to figure out what we need to account for, right? That creates the roadmap for change. And so for me, 
you know, I've got coaches and consultants because, right, I don't know any top performers in their field that get like, I don't know how you get done. Like, I need people to challenge me from the outside. And again, that doesn't mean people have to hire me. It's really about are you willing, if you want, if there's that incongruence where you're like, wow, that more and better is calling to me. I just feel like there's that invisible force field. I can't quite figure it out. That means, quite honestly, that, right, it's going to be far more mindset issues than method issues. Because once you know what you want, you will always find a way or make one every single time. It's really the question is, how are we going to empower ourselves? How are we going to invest in our own success to create the business and the life that we really want without apology, hesitation, or compromise? And I just want people to know that that truly and genuinely is possible. If you want to follow me, I'm on LinkedIn, Stephanie Bogan. Twitter at Steph, I think, underscore Bogan, X, whatever, Twix. I call it Twix now because I don't know what you're supposed to call it. LimitlessFA.life is our website, and you can reach out to connect at LimitlessFA.life if you have any questions. Wow. We'll drop all that in the show notes so you can pick your channel. Steph, who else should we have on this show? You deliver so much value. You don't deliver that much value and not run in circles of people who are playing at a high level as well. If you had to pick one person who's had an exit that we should bring on the Dreamcatchers podcast, who would you say? Oh, let me think about that. Who's had an exit? All the really awesome people I know are still in their businesses. Let me think about that one and get back to you for sure. We'll take it. All right. right. To my listeners, if you want some help on the backside of that exit and you're figuring out what your second mountain's going to be, You should jump over to theexitparadox.com and grab our white paper. It will give you all types of tools, tips, and strategies that help you on that journey. And it will also help you avoid the five mistakes that we see most founders making when they're exiting. Until the next time, your dreams should be real. Thanks again, Steph. We'll talk soon. Oh, Jerome, my pleasure. Such an honor. Thank you so much for the invitation. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.